What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Joe DeSena is the founder and CEO of Spartan Race the world's leading obstacle racing company he has demonstrated his entrepreneurial drive since his preteens. From selling fireworks at age eight to building a multi-million dollar pool business in college to creating a Wall Street trading firm and now the world's fastest growing sports movement, DeSena is a living definition of the word entrepreneur. Joe is one of the mentally toughest humans that Sean has ever come across, and his no BS approach to live will definitely change the way that you look at obstacles in life. Learn what challenging yourself is all about on this episode. If you're listening to this podcast, there is a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I've ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the New Year's goals. 10,000 makes three types of shorts for every way you train. The interval short that's built for versatility and mobility and perfect if you're into a bit of everything. It comes with an optional built-in liner that's the perfect compression without being too tight. It's made from super fine Italian fabrics. Ooh, fancy. So it's not just functional, but more comfortable without losing any support. And you need that support. The foundation short that's built for durability and perfect for anything with barbells, strength training, or even a weekend adventure. The distance short, my personal favorite, it's a super lightweight short, breathable and built for running. Also with a built-in liner, these shorts fade away while you run. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested, there's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site, head to purespectrumcbd.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at purespectrumcbd.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. 
Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Joe, thanks for joining us on What Got You There. How are you today? Awesome. How are you? I'm doing very well. So in our little pre-call, you mentioned you're on a boat. What do you have going on over there? Just heading across the water in Boston. Um, got a bunch of stuff to do and then, believe it or not, uh, heading to Tony Robbins uh, tomorrow. Going to be doing some stuff with him and his coaches. So that's exciting. Very cool. Have you ever done anything with Tony in the past? Just um, a couple of one-on-one things. Nothing, nothing like this. So... Uh, I'm a big fan and, um, yeah, exciting. Awesome. Well, congratulations with that. I think this is a perfect segue then into growth mindset. And I want to start with growth mindset because I think you developed this growth mindset from a really young age. I've heard you talk about the impact your mom had and, and how she developed that growth mindset in you. That's a great question. I mean, that's a $64 million question, but, uh, cause I have, we have four children now and I'm trying to figure out how to develop it in them. And I think, um, I think the way to do it is you've got to let a kid um, fall. You've got to let a kid get out of uh, their comfort zone and not be there all the time with a, with a visible safety net. Right. When I talked to Richard Branson, he says um, his mom used to let him bike uh, 50, 60, 80 miles back home or walk 20 miles home. Right. And so that would be uncomfortable for most parents. But I think, um, I think every other animal in the animal kingdom prepares their, their cubs, for uh, the wild. And I think we're, we're very protective. So I think, I think you could, you could teach it, but it's going to be uncomfortable for the parent because you got to let them loose. Yeah. I definitely want to get into some of your parenting styles and techniques a little bit later, but I really want to dig into this origin story for you. And your mom let you make some mistakes then anything really come to mind, any stories you remember where she let you go off on your own and take care of business? Well, I mean, she was pushing crazy things, back then, right? She was pushing yoga. She was pushing meditation. She, uh, introduced my sister and I to a 3,100 mile run in Queens. Um, and so it was, uh, it was out of your comfort zone, uh, thrown into the fire, um, back then. So, um, so there, there was, there was nothing that she put it this way. There was nothing she did that was, um, comfortable. (laughs) And then, and it, you know, in Queens back then, right? It was, it was uh, cement, cannolis, and raviolis were the topics of conversation, and and she was pushing meditation, yoga, and being vegan, and so I was considered a crackpot by my friends because I had this Looney Tune perceived Looney Tune mother, but um, so I think that was one, right? Because I was constantly out of my comfort zone. Um, two, uh, I think I got to see another way even if it was just subconsciously because I wasn't accepting it. Um, three, my dad was a workaholic maniac. Um, and I grew up in a neighborhood that was riddled with organized crime. And so even though we know today, you and I know it's bad. People go to jail, they get killed, they're doing bad things. If you're a young person, you're a product of your environment. You're looking up to those people, right? They've got rolls of cash. They've got Cadillacs. They've got respect. They're wearing suits. And, um, and, 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 and they go to jail. And so then, so then you're thinking as crazy as it sounds, you're thinking, could I do that? Right. Can I, 
can I handle uh, going away for 20 years or getting killed or holding a, like, and so I think all those things combined, it was, it was um, not your normal upbringing for sure. Yeah, no, you certainly had quite a melting pot there. Do you think you were leaning more one way or the other, kind of your dad's entrepreneurial business side of things and your mom's more holistic lifestyle? Depending on the time of my life. So I think, um, I think now I'm leaning towards my mother's holistic lifestyle, but I think in the early days, it was for me, I just wanted to build businesses and make money. So I was leaning, leaning my dad's way. And I just got to say, thank God I didn't, uh, I didn't go too far that way. Right. Because, um, I, I wouldn't be here today. What's that like resonating on that, especially now that you have four kids thinking about the direction things could have gone. It makes me think that a kid could make one little mistake and it changes, uh, changes their life. And so how do you, um, how do you teach this growth mindset, right? And put a kid out of their comfort zone and let them make some of their own decisions, but, but, but hope, um, that they don't make, uh, some, some fatal ones and fatal is a strong word. I mean, you could always bounce back, but you know, I was watching, um, I was watching a movie on a plane the other day. I was coming back from Greece, American animals or something, something like that. And it was four kids, uh, in college. I think it was Transylvania university in Kentucky where there's a very expensive artistic book, like a $12 million book that they get introduced to and they try to steal it because they think it's cool. And, and the movie really gets into the mindset of how a young kid could actually convince themselves to do something like this. And it changes their life forever. They go to jail. Right. And so, so how do you, how do you strike that balance of uh, letting a kid make decisions, letting them get out there, get uncomfortable, but not making uh, fatal ones. Do you see your dad being the entrepreneur? Did he make any really fatal bad decisions uh, during your time growing up? Yeah, he made some tough decisions that, that um, I think if he had to do again, he's dead to do again, he wouldn't have done. I think we all, we all do, but he, um, but then again, it was a different time, right? I mean, uh, his parents came over from Italy. Uh, they didn't have a lot of money and he was scraping and hustling and doing what he could, uh, to get ahead. So, um, although now in, in 2018, 40, 50 years later, you can look back with crystal clarity and say, gee, you should have did this. You should have did that at that time, probably doing the best he could. He didn't end up in jail, so that was good. <laughs> That's a good perspective there. So looking back on your time, I mean, you start to develop this entrepreneurial mindset. You start with your pool business. How did you first come up with that, and then how did that morph and transition? My neighbor was um, the head of the uh, Bonanno organized crime family, and uh, <laughs> he had daughters. He didn't have a son. And my, um, my dad was having tough financial times. And my neighbor, um, and I don't know who he is at this point because I'm very young, um, I just know that he's nice and he's got a really nice house and, uh, he invites me over to clean his pool. He pays me $35, which is a big deal for a young kid. And, um, he teaches me a lot of lessons. Um, and you wouldn't expect those lessons to be taught from a guy with this background. And, uh, from there he introduces me to more and more, um, of his friends who are also, uh, organized crime leaders, um, and I end up with 700 customers that I'm cleaning pools for. And it feels really cool because of who my customers are, right? Nobody's going to mess with me. And <laughs> I'm making a lot of money and, and I'm, uh, and I'm very well liked and I work hard. And, um, that was my first foray in, in, into business and really, um, finding out who I was and what I was capable of, is, you know, from a, from a business, um, perspective. So then you're at a young age running a successful business, why was there any desire to attempt college? 
there was no desire to attend college. I uh, didn't know anything about college. Uh, nobody was prepping me. I didn't even know what an SAT test was. So, um, so um, I'm uh, graduating high school, which was a feat in, 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 in and of itself because I was so focused on getting back um, to business uh, in Queens. And uh, a friend of mine says, hey, why don't we go to Cornell University? I think we were two or three months from graduation. And I said, well, that sounds great, but how the hell would we get into Cornell? And I don't have time anyway. I'm running my business. And he says, well, my dad's a professor at Cornell. He can get us in. So that sounded like a very neighborhood thing to say. Like it sounded rational to me that you would have a connection with a professor to get you into school. Um, we interviewed. We interviewed well, and it was exciting. Put on a suit and actually uh, get out of the neighborhood for a day. And, um, and ultimately, I didn't get accepted, and he didn't get accepted. But he said, um, he said, you know, we could go extramural, my father told me. His father, who's the professor, said, uh, which means we could take three classes while everybody else takes five classes. So we'll be doing a little less workload. But if we do well, we could reapply and they should accept us. So it sounded logical. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. This summer, we'll go to St. John's in Queens and we'll get tuned up. And I'll learn how to study because I, I really haven't studied yet in my life. And, uh, and he said, that's ridiculous. So we're going to have to buckle down in September. Why don't we go to Vegas for the summer? And I said, well, one, I can't go to, I have a business to run. That's not appealing to, I just was never a partier. Or, or, um, so he, he made a left turn. He went to Vegas for the summer. I went to St. John's. I ran my business. I studied and it was awesome. I felt uh, very collegiate. I felt like I was really uh, moving up. That, that, that September, that fall, we went to school. We took our three classes each, and uh, I did very well. He didn't do as well, uh, clearly, because he was partying too much in Vegas. And uh, we both reapplied, but neither of us got in again because uh, they wanted to prove that there wasn't a backdoor way to get into a, a college, let alone you know, an Ivy League school. So, um, so I'm relentless, and anybody that tells me I can't do something just you know, lights a fire that I'm going to do it. So I went. I took another semester. Funny enough, he took a, another left turn. He went to UNLV, he went to Vegas. He, I guess he had too much fun that summer. So, um, so I went semester after semester after semester. I kept uh, applying and kept getting uh, denied, but I was doing well. And um, I think by the fourth semester, I was broken. And I thought, you know what? I'm doing really well with my business. What am I doing here? They clearly don't want me. I'm not good enough for the school. And my mother says to me, um, Look, I know a woman that I teach yoga to that uh, is a professor at Cornell. Why don't you meet her? And I thought, well, it's not some waste of time, but I'll do it for my mother. And I sit down with Professor Anita Racy, and I'll never forget her name. And she says to me, um, hey, Joe, you know, I run uh, the Department of uh, Human Ecology, uh, a textile department. So human ecology was a division within Cornell. You can you can study uh, economics, architecture, uh, liberal arts, go down the list, become a veterinarian. It's an amazing school that way. And there's one college within the university called human ecology. And within that college, there's a, a focus on textiles uh, as well. You know, there's other focuses as well, but the division I run is, is textiles. Um, I didn't even know what a textile was. And uh, she says, um, we have 92 women in our department and uh, no men. And we're looking to uh, get some diversity. We need some men. Do you like textiles? And I said, I love textiles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> so what guy would? So um, sure enough, um, 
she uh, lets me in. She changes my life uh, forever. And so who knew my mother with the yoga and the meditation and the branch sandwiches really had the connection. But, but when we look back and say, you know, what, what, what would you learn from that? What could we learn from it? It was, um, you know, it would have been very easy for me to go back to the neighborhood and do what everybody else was doing. Um, but I took a chance and the chance didn't work out immediately. And so I stuck with it, right? Cause I was very young still. And I remember talking to neighborhood kids through that whole journey and telling them like, now I, I've had a way to get into Cornell and, and telling kids like, Hey, you should go. And when they were 19 years old, they, well, it's too late. Right. When they were 20 years old, I was too late. 21 years old, too late. And I, I remember thinking to myself, shit, you're going to be 30 wishing you did it. And sure enough, every one of my friends from the neighborhood uh, all regret that. And so I think I think a lesson to learn, like it's never too late, right? It's never that hard. And um, and man, I'm so glad I did it. I think um, I think people take all these little shortcuts on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Whether they wake up late, they eat poor food, they don't train, and they stack on top of each other those decisions over time. And um, and ultimately, you pay the price. You pay small prices along the way. You feel unhealthy. You get out of shape. You you get aggravated more easily because you're not healthy. Um, and then you die young. Right? <laughs> so, like, you pay the ultimate price for all these poor decisions. Um, somebody great said, which I love, is, is this idea of discipline sets you free, right? And it doesn't really make sense until you think about it. But if you're disciplined and you're focused and, and you stick with it, um, and in the example I just gave, like, I just stuck with it and I was disciplined about it. And ultimately, ultimately you end up with more freedom, right? Because you've got more time, you're healthier, you're, you're able to do more. Yeah, no, I love hearing that perspective about all of these little things and the compounding effect and how they result in just a much greater detriment there in the future. So it kind of sounds like you've got these non-negotiables you might execute on every day. What are some of the non-negotiables you're doing to set up the, your success here? Well, I'm relentless with the kids. And, and my family, and they, they they probably hate me for it right now, but hopefully they they like it 25 years from now. But what do, what are you doing right now that they would hate you for? Well, it's it's every morning, you know, it's 5:45 in the morning, seven days a week. They got to train, they got to drink their green juice, uh, they got to do their math, they got to do their Mandarin. And um, I think anybody normal would say, "Oh, Joe, it's it's uh, the weekend," or oh, "Joe, it's the birthday party today," or "Joe," and it's like. I got it. There's going to be lots of birthday parties. There's lots of weekends. There's lots of days where we're tired, but it's non-negotiable. It's every single day because when that kid is applying to school, like I was, they're going to like, you can't get that time back, right? They're going to be happy. They're not going to be, they're not going to say, I wish I did less Mandarin. I wish I did less math. I wish I, I wish I wasn't in such good shape. Right. But, but the other side of that is, well, I, I wish I, did more Mandarin. I wish I did more math. I, mm. I, you know, I wish when, when you don't get in a good school, right? But if you did all you can do, you work really hard at it and, and you don't get the, well, at least you could lean back on, you know what? I worked really hard. I did the best I could. As opposed to having that regret. I've met so many people that were inches away from being Olympian or inches away from doing really well in their business or inches away from whatever it is. And when you dive in and you ask questions, you find out like, hang on a second. It wasn't random that you missed that target. Like you just told me you wanted to drink beer on the weekends and hang out with friends and like, sorry, but gold medalists don't do that. <laughs> so, right. Like, so, 
it requires work. I met a guy, him and his brother were, were gold medal holders in, in rowing from Canada. And he described, he said, listen, it was, it was 12 straight years, seven days a week, seven hours a day. Right. And that's it. That's the deal. So when you think of that, and it sounds like a lot of this has to do with maximizing your potential. So when you're going to bed at night, do you truly believe that, that you're getting the most out of your day? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I start real early and, um, and I don't stop till it's done. And, you know, I probably shouldn't do this, but you know, before bed, I'm, I'm catching up on all my emails. I'm planning out my next day. And, uh, no matter how I feel in the morning, I'm doing my workout. Um, I'm trying to eat healthy all day. I don't drink, uh, coffee. I don't drink alcohol. So you mentioned at night and, and you're still accomplishing tasks, knocking out work. Some great samurais, what they used to do is they used to burn all the thoughts they had in their head at night. So when they'd wake up, they'd have fresh perspectives on everything. Do you kind of approach each new day like that? I do. Um, hang on. I want to put my computer away. We're going to get off the boat. But that story you just told, the samurai, that's a story I've been reciting for a while. I, uh, I love that. So we're on the same page there. And um, I don't physically um, burn them. I don't think they physically burn them either. They burn them in their minds. They went, they went even further, by the way. They not only burn their negative thoughts, but the story goes that they burned um, in their mind, their family and all their possessions. And the story is that they did that so that when they woke up, everything they encountered was, was a positive, right? They went to bed with nothing and they woke up with everything. And, um, I'm really, uh, very much like that because I, I appreciate, uh, everything I appreciate. You know, people say, how was the flight? You know, I fly all over the world. And my immediate response is it landed. <laughs> like it doesn't get better than that. Like, right it landed. Like, I don't care about Wi-Fi. I don't care about the seat I was in. I don't care if I slept or not. I don't care about the food. Like a plane that lands is a good flight. Um, you know, how's your day? My answer is I'm alive. I think it's better than that. Right. Anything is better than dead. So, um, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but that's, that's the way I, I think about things. Yeah, no, I love hearing your thoughts all around this. I would love to know, what do you like on a plane? Are you doing burpees and going up and down the aisle or, or can you sit still? You know, I challenged myself at everything and stupidly once. I challenged myself. Um, I was on a long flight to Japan, maybe Singapore, even longer. And um, I challenged myself to just sit in the seat and watch a bunch of documentaries without moving. Very stupid on my part, right? And um, I ended up with a little blood clot. So, so when you ask, how am I on a plane? I, I tend to challenge myself to things that are uncomfortable. Um, but now I'm, now I'm only doing it as long as it's healthy. <laughs> I'm not going to challenge myself. I, I challenged myself once uh, in Scotland. I was at one of our races and I saw two tent weights. They looked like uh, dumbbells. And I didn't see what, what size they were. And my mind immediately went to, don't ask me why, uh, gee, I wonder if I could carry those around the course. And I immediately said, no, like anybody, no, no way, I'm not even going to. But as soon as I said, no way, don't look at those weights anymore, don't think that, then, it, then I said, oh, I guess I got to go do it. I got to see if I can. 
And so I decided I was going to do the course carrying these two weights. I didn't know what they were. It turned out they were 50 pounds each. And then I said, you know what? I want to see if I could get a, a bagpiper because I'm in Scotland and I've never really, um, I love the music, the bagpipe music, right? I'm going to have a bagpiper follow me on the whole course. Well, turns out they were 50 pounds. I convinced a bagpiper. And as you can imagine, I mean, carrying 50-pound weights in the hills of Scotland over obstacles, through obstacles, it was a nightmare. And so for five hours, this guy blew the bagpipes in my ears, in the mountains of Scotland. I felt like Mel Gibson in Braveheart. But, but so, so um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. That probably didn't answer a question, but, but, um, but I, like, I, tend to, I tend to challenge myself and do things that I don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, with with stories like that, I could care less if you answer another question. I could just hear stories like that all day. Thinking about some of the most sadistic things and challenges you've done to yourself, and any of them come to mind like that? I think um, I think when I first got into adventure racing in the mid '90s, I learned about a race in Alaska, the Iditarod. You know, the dog sled race, and I I found out you can do it by foot, <laughs> and. Um, you know, I, I don't really think things through completely. Like I didn't think through the weight, carrying the weights and the bagpiper in Scotland and how hard it was going to be because just like, I'm not a big believer in really detailed business plans. Uh, you know, I love Mike Tyson's quote, like, uh, you got to, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And reality is life punched you in the face. So if you sit there and you start thinking about this, I did a rod in Alaska and how cold it is, and uh, how much snow there'll be. And you talk yourself out of it. Right. Just like if you, if you, if you do really detailed business plans, you talk yourself out of that. Um, I probably would have talked myself out of Cornell university. And so I tend to just fire and then get ready and then aim. And, and in this case, I, uh, ended up in Alaska and, um, I have no interest in going back to Alaska. (laughs) It was really really cold and really hard, but, but you know, in times like that, you meet yourself. And, um, I got to know who I was and, and, uh, hang on. I'm just walking by the engine room of the boat here just for a little visual for those listeners <laughs> out there getting, getting, getting off the boat. Um, yeah, so I've done, um, done some crazy things. I once ran from New York to Vermont to raise money for hospice care. My mom, uh, had died and hospice care really took care of her and I felt like I owed them something. That was a, a bitch of a run. Um, one time I took a long flight from Asia, I landed in New Jersey, got off the plane. And I just felt like lethargic from being on the planes for so long. And I got on a bicycle and biked like close to 400 miles, literally right from, uh, near the airport where my buddy gave me his bike. That was a crazy one. <laughs> um, I once biked. There was a race called the, there's a race called the 508 through Death Valley at 508 miles. And, um, I was sitting on the trading desk and so I was kind of out of shape. I certainly wasn't in shape to bike 508 miles. I had this crazy idea and I thought, what if I bike from my house in Vermont to the race start line in Death Valley, by the time I get there, I'll be in shape. I won't have to spend all this time training. It'll just be, you know, whatever the time it takes me to get there. I could probably get there. I would think in 10 or 12 days. So that was a bitch. Um, so yeah, just, and then lately I've just been carrying a kettlebell around, um, everywhere I go, which is 
I don't have it with me right now. And it's, I got to say, from carrying it all the time, when I don't have it for a couple hours, it's so refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, could, I could imagine. Uh, what, what's the yeah, self-talk I mean, it's like, like? Oh my God, walking is so easy. <laughs> when, when, you, when you're doing the Iditarod, say you're a thousand miles into this, you're absolutely freezing cold. What is your self-talk like? What did you say? What is my what like? Your self talk. I mean, what's the narrative like going on in your head? Oh, oh my self, my self talk. Um, you know, I I like. Um, I did the race in Sparta this weekend, carrying a kettlebell and um, on my shoulders, and I get really creative. <laughs> um, I get a lot of time to think. Now, now that wasn't like Alaska, right? Sparta was warm. Yeah, it was a bitch kettlebell is uncomfortable, but when you're out there for multi days and it's really cold, 30 below and your eyelashes are frozen, it goes beyond creative and it gets to a point like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> this was stupid. <laughs> and then, and then you just got to shake it off. Right. And you push a little further and you shake it off. And, and then what happens is you get into a place where it's survival and all you want is water, food, and shelter. And, um, a really refreshing place to be you know it sucks and it's painful but like nothing else matters you know there's these marathon monks in japan they go around a 25 mile loop 900 days in a row to become monks and when they're done they get asked the question like what'd you learn you went 900 days around a 25 mile loop and their answer is i learned nothing matters and so when I, when I describe that self-talk, you really, when you get to that place, the only thing that matters is water, food, and shelter, all this other stuff that we get bungled with in our heads, it's irrelevant. It really doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, when it's all over. And so, you know, I get frustrated in the office like we all do. And I got this going on in that. And I try to remember that. Um, I mean, we're trying to do some good things. We're trying to get a hundred million people healthy. So that, that matters, but there'll be somebody that takes the torch after me and, um, somebody that deals with the headache today, you know, after me. So anyway, easier said than done. I mean, you bring up a, a lot of interesting things like the samurai story, that monk story you just shared, which I hadn't heard. And that's really cool to hear about. How do you obtain all the, all this knowledge and these stories? I feel like you're so go, go, go. You're probably not reading too much. Are you? You know, I don't, I don't read a lot of like, a lot of books. I am um, sort of a madman. So I'll stop in Hudson News and airport and I'm in a lot of airports, a lot of airports my whole life. And, um, we're on a trading desk, right? Where I, where I used to sit for, uh, eight, nine hours a day and reading news stories. And I consume enormous amounts of data very fast. So if I go into a Hudson News, I hope the CEO of Hudson News isn't listening. But I'll look at like five or six books and just try to get the quick hits out of them. Um, I'll grab a bunch of magazines, knock out magazines. I'm constantly looking at um, Bloomberg and News Online and just consuming stuff. But, you know, I did like 10 or 12 years on a trading desk, eight hours a day. And you're looking at, you're just consuming bite-sized pieces of, um, of information. And then I love to travel and really dive in. I mean, I, we've lived all over the world with the family and I've just learned a ton. Um, but I would say I'm really wide, not very deep. 
Gotcha. Was was the madness of sitting at that trading desk? Is that what initially got you into these races? Um, sitting on the trading desk and, and the madness, but also just feeling unhealthy. Gotcha. Um, not purposeful. And I just wanted to, I don't know, I just felt really good getting reconnected with the earth, connected with myself, the community of adventure seekers. So, I mean, it's one thing to be actively participating in these races, but then in 2004, you created the death race. How did you first come up with this idea? And then what really led that spark to, hey, I'm actually going to create this? I wanted to create, I want to create something that emulated life. Like, um, everybody, you know, I've done a ton of races. Everybody talks about these races. This was so hard. That was so hard. But at the end of the day, an Ironman is a catered training day. What I mean by that, hold on, I'm going to get a cold, fresh juice. Hold on one second. How are you doing? So I get an, an alive and a uh, namaste. So for those listening out there, I, I'll give you the ingredients. An alive is apple, cucumber, pear, pineapple, ginger, lime. Let me go stand outside so you don't hear the blender. But um, what, what was I talking about before I ordered the drink? So in 2004, you created the death race, and I want to know what led you to actually oh, create race. that. Yeah, so, so um, all these races out there are catered training days. Yes, they're hard. I do them, they're hard. But, but I mean, like every mile in a marathon, there's water, there's people there, there's And I thought, you know, life isn't necessarily like that. There's not always a safety net to catch you. Like, you run a business, it sucks. It's hard. Payroll. Uh, competitors, this thing, that thing, people coming after you, um, lawsuits, insurance. And, um, and I mistakenly thought that all these adventure seekers were like, they had the, the chops and the bones to, to be business people. But in reality, most of them are endurance hippies. What I mean by that is it's fun to go out and run, no matter how cold it is, no matter how, it's fun to do that. It's hard to sit and type emails every day. Right, it's hard to, to to scrounge and try to raise money and and uh, make payroll. And so, can I create an event that emulated life, that emulated business, emulated it like a mom dealing with a screaming kid every night? And and that race would have to have some really interesting um, things, traits to it. It would. I wouldn't tell you when it started because life doesn't always tell you when things start. I wouldn't tell you when it ended because life doesn't always tell you where the finish line is. It would throw everything at you um, when you least expect it. It would uh, push you to quit. It would lie to you. And, and that, was, that was the strategy. That was the big picture thought from 50,000 feet. And then I manifested that, those thoughts, into this race where you're chopping wood, you're putting together a wheelbarrow 48 hours in without tools and, or, or instructions in a box from Home Depot. You're, um, you, I actually set up once. I actually planted some racers with the other with the with the with the racers who paid to participate, and the racers that I planted were going to cheat on purpose, and that cheating was going to get seen because I wanted to see if everybody else would cheat alongside them. And sure enough, everybody cheated, and um, and I recorded all that, and I busted them all. Anyway, it's um, it was it's amazing stories over the years, decades that that um created this amazing race this this like uh this thing that the new york times picked up and and people from all over the world had to come do and test themselves with the death race who won that first race first race was won by a guy named uh, doug lewis um doug lewis was um an olympic downhill skier 
is in Olympic downhill skier. And he um, shows up, has no idea um, what this thing is because the first year was called a death division. Um, I didn't have the name race on it. And he literally starts crying. <laughs> he thought it was a 50 mile run and he starts crying. And these two brothers, these two brothers from um, Vermont, uh, the Ashley brothers, tough as nails. These brothers probably ate and probably eat barbed wire for breakfast. And um, they grew up in Hardy, Vermont. They're chopping wood every morning with their dad. Um, big guys. And they are eating Doug Lewis for breakfast in this thing. And, um, and Doug gains his composure halfway through the event and somehow pulls the win. And says to me, even to this day, it was the hardest thing. I said, you're an Olympian. And this is the hardest thing you ever did. And I hear that over and over. Even with Spartan Race, I hear that. So then obviously you must have knew you were onto something. New York Times picks this up. You you saw what this did to certain people. So how does Spartan Race develop from that? Well, all the years of putting on races that were 350 to 500 miles long showed me that uh, there wasn't much of a market for it. And I was losing a ton of money. And so eventually I folded and I changed the format. You know, Death Race is not a very marketable name. <laughs> I changed the name to Spartan. And uh, yeah, and so uh, and then we got Spartan Race and it just took off. I mean, I want to know why it takes off though. Is, is it that people are just sick and tired of sitting behind their desks all day and they're looking for something that really just taps into what it means to be a human being? I think people are looking for something for sure. I think, um, I think people are seeking, um, you know, when they work for a company that define themselves um, with that company, when they buy a certain handbag, they define themselves uh, that way, right? They buy Ralph Lauren clothes and define themselves that way. And I think we give people the opportunity to find themselves in the Spartans um, where they actually jump into the, jump into the mix and, and, don't live passively through, you know, watching a sport on television, but, but actually live like they're in it. They're Spartans, they're throwing spears, they're sweating, they're breathing heavy, they're bleeding, um, as I was this weekend in Sparta. I mean, you guys have had over a million people participate in a Spartan race now, right? Yeah, we've had, um, God, I think we're closing in on 6 million since conception. We get over a million a year. And, uh, it's just growing like crazy. 40, 42 countries, 275 events. It's, uh, it's exhausting. I mean, logistically, that sounds like a serious headache. What's the most difficult thing managing a business like that? The most difficult thing yep. is, um, is, is, is uh, <laughs> the business side of it. It's not, it's not uh, like being out there on the court. I mean, that's the easy part, right? the business side of it, making it all happen, the marketing, it's like, anyway, it just, yeah, it's a lot. So then why don't you step away from the business side of it and continue to do what you love? You got a job for me? I'll sign up right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to, I have to imagine you, you could bring someone in to, to run it and you just continue to be the face. I think, we, yeah, I, 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 um, I, did, I walked into my office as you're asking the question and there's people everywhere. Um, I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be 50 soon. I've got four young kids, and um, I've got I don't know. I guess the thing that keeps me going is I got this job to do, right? I gotta I gotta get people helping, and so. Uh, but 
Yeah, if there's somebody out there that says uh, they could do it better than me, um, I'll give you the address. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> so, I mean, do you feel most alive when you're out there on the course? Or is there something else that you do in life that really just kind of just gets you jacked up? Most alive when I'm on the course. Yeah. It is. If I had my way, I'd be on the course every day. If somebody said, hey, um, we need you as CEO to be on the course. And um, oh, my God, I'd be out there every day with the kids. Be, yeah be unfair. That's awesome. I mean, so there's been 6 million people participated in this. I'm sure there's plenty who are listening who have never done this. They're, they're too scared of the challenge and someone's trying to set a goal. I know you have issues with how most people go and, and try to set goals and accomplish those goals. What do you recommend to people who want to get out of their comfort zone? I think we should put a, I think you just gave me an idea. I think we should put a, um, an APB I remember watching um, Starsky and Hush years ago and learning about APBs, right? When they, they put out an APB looking for a prisoner or something. But let's put out an APB looking for a CEO at Spartan. And um, people could, um, I should create a landing page. You think you could run this place? Um, accepting offers. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's fun. Yeah. Actually, you know what? It's actually, I should do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a landing page that says accepting offers and it'll be the Shackleton advertisement, like long days, complete darkness, no rations. He said low rations. I would say no rations <laughs> and return unlikely. Joe, I think we're going to circle back in about six to nine months. And I bet you are going to have some unbelievably accomplished people trying, trying to take your job right now. I think I should do it. I, I think it'd be great. You should definitely do it. I, I mean, my, you, friend just, my friend just said Ben and Jerry did it. They put out a national book. Oh, I like it. I'm going to do it. All right. Hopefully I don't get Ben or Jerry applying. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you, I want to find out that we're selling Spartan ice cream now. Just speaking to how accomplished you've become with how busy you are, you have the books, investments, the business you're running, raising four kids. How, how do you even start tackling one of those per day, let alone the four different things you have going on? You know, they say you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. I, um, I don't know. There's something that happens once you, once you get to this, um, scale. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm like a pimple on, on an elephant compared to what some CEOs are running. I mean, I'm, this is nothing. Um, but when you get, when you get to a certain size and scale, I question every day and scratch my sense. I, I, I don't know how it all happens. It's just an amazing team. And, um, I just, I guess we, we pushed the boulder down the hill, right? We were pushing a boulder uphill, 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 and then eventually got to the top and now it's going downhill. Amazing team. And they, they get it done. Super wife, um, really lucky, healthy kids. Uh, I don't, I don't really do much. I don't know what the hell I do. <laughs> That's why we got to find a seat. We got to find a CEO that actually does. Something. <laughs> yeah. I know you got to the office. You have to jump off in a minute. You mentioned surrounding yourself with that team and are there, innate traits, um, sports people have played things you're looking for in developing that team around you. Um, I like passion. I like people with clean cars. You got to have a clean, if you, if you have a messy car, I translate that to, to like a messy life. I need people that are organized, disciplined, resilient, most importantly, passionate, um, relentless, Domain expertise you could teach. Somebody can learn how to program on a computer. They can learn finance. You can learn all that stuff. Um, the skills I spoke about earlier, 
you either have you either have those or you don't. Um, that that that's what I that's what I look for. I'm a new father, three month old son. I know you mentioned raising your four kids earlier, and you think they need to make mistakes. Any other advice you would have for me? I know it's a selfish question, but I had to ask. Look, you're gonna you're gonna be faced every day with the hard. Go hard or go easy. And and I would say always go hard. Um, the kid doesn't need an extra lollipop or, or candy or a cookie or to stay up late. Or you know, I, I had a kung fu master live with us for um, a couple of years in Vermont, and he was a hard ass. He um, <laughs> he, he took no he, he took no prisoners from the kids. Like he he wasn't fun. He was disciplined. He made the kids cry. And you know what? They loved him. They were attracted to him. They, they like it would it was the exact opposite of what you would think. So kids, kids, I think thrive on discipline. They want it. Um, they don't want the wild west. So that's my two cents. I love that advice. Always go hard. I'm definitely going to implement that now as a new father. Final question: What's your true definition of success? How do you view it each morning? Um, you know, am I on this side of the ground? It's <laughs> a good way to look at it. I'm, I'm, I'm successful. I don't know. I mean, a lot of people in the cemetery are not successful right now. They're dead. I just, I just want to be alive. I'm alive. I'm, um, I'm free. I'm living in a great country. Um, I'm helping people. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the, the traditional definitions. The money. I, you got to be healthy, right? And. And healthy just means you're moving. You might be missing a leg or an arm or whatever, but, but if you're moving and you're getting stuff done, you're, you're successful. It's a great perspective, man, Joe, this has been a lot of fun. I really did enjoy this. You're someone who's been an inspiration to me. I've looked up to, tried to learn from, I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Where can they best stay connected with you and everything you have going on in Spartan? Awesome. Thanks for having me. And I'm sorry I, I took your listeners um, on boats and planes and trains and to, and to juice stores, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this was fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Joe. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I've ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. This is just in time to purchase the perfect holiday gift for your loved one or even treat yourself to a new wardrobe for the New Year's goals. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, 
turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested. There's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site, head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.